This is the Bridge Church Podcast, an audio ministry of the Bridge Church, a Nazarene community in Oahu, Hawaii. Please visit us in person or check us out online at bridgenaz.org. We hope to hear from you. We hope to see you. God bless. ago a few weeks ago I suggested that Jesus began his public ministry uh, in the fall of the year 30 CE and in particular I suggested that Jesus may have started in November shortly after John the baptizer was arrested and thrown in prison. Now, that that may seem like an interesting but slightly unimportant detail that Jesus started his ministry in the fall, likely in November. Maybe it seems like no big deal. Maybe you're wondering why I'm talking about it again. But what if I told you there were a lot of mosquitoes around that time. Would you be more interested then? (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe you're thinking, Pastor, why would I care about mosquitoes in Jesus' day? I can't stand them today. I get it, right? If you're anything like me, you hate mosquitoes. I'm what they call mosquito bait. I guess here they can smell that howly blood, you know, Um, But if there's a mosquito within a mile radius, it's going to find me. We went to a high school football game the other night, like 2,000 people in the stands, and I'm asking everybody around me, you getting bit? You getting bit? I got big mosquito bites on my neck. Nobody else getting bit. They found me out of 2,000 people. They zero in on me. They take some of my blood, leave big red bumps, make me itch. And since we moved into our place... um, A couple years ago, or a few years ago, we've had a little bit of a a mosquito problem. And I've literally, I've spent the years we've lived there trying to eradicate this mosquito issue. We, we, when we moved in, we had water catchments at our downspouts. We've removed all of those. I've rehung some of my gutters just to make sure there is absolutely no standing water. My neighbor and I, We've sought to eliminate any puddles in the neighborhood. And uh, I found an aluminum pole along our sidewalk out front, and it didn't have a cap on the top of it. And lo and behold, I look in there, it's filled with water. So I drilled a hole in the bottom, let the water out, and capped the top, and a lot of mosquitoes gone. And recently, my other neighbor's gutters, which are hung very badly <laughs> are and are essentially useless, Uh, They were filled with sewage-like water. Stunk horribly. And I offered, hey, uh, can I get on your roof and eliminate the problems? Because you're holding a bunch of mosquitoes. It's a mosquito breeding ground over there. There were hundreds when I got up there and looked in. Hundreds, if not thousands, of mosquito larvae uh, just swimming around in her gutters. I hate mosquitoes with a passion. I don't know if you knew this or not, but mosquitoes are actually viewed as the world's deadliest predator. 
Did you know that? That may seem insane, but it's true. Now, what if I told you that mosquitoes have something to do with Jesus' mission? Anyone ever told you that? <laughs> you ever heard that Jesus took on flesh, became incarnate, and started his public ministry, and that mosquitoes might have had something to do with it? I'm telling you this morning, as wild as it may sound, I think that's the case. <laughs> Lynn, I love that face you just made at me. Uh, before you all think I'm losing my mind or going crazy, I want to ask you, just hang with me for a few minutes. I want to come back to this in just a bit. But first, I got to take a little detour, okay? I want to go back about a decade, about seven to nine years, uh, 2013, 2017. And here's where I want to go. I want to go to Sierra Leone. It's a country in West Africa. And I remember watching an episode during that span of time of 60 Minutes, you know, the news show 60 Minutes, about the Ebola crisis that uh, was happening during that time some years ago. Of course, it was over, all over all the news stations. And I remember seeing uh, footage and images like this. When Ebola hit West Africa, Sierra Leone, the World Health Organization had medical professionals Doctors, nurses, and the like descend upon the country rapidly. It was a harrowing experience for many. The country was desperate for medicine and health aid. And because of that, you know what? The world responded. And the pictures were not dissimilar to what we've witnessed in recent years here with the pandemic. We saw mobile morgues outside hospitals in New York City, COVID hit. And in places like New York, where there was a rapid spread, many health officials were needed. And many went. They descended into the chaos, the health officials. They put themselves on the front lines. They were heroes. You remember that just a couple years ago when the health people in our community were heroes? They were treating the rich and the poor, the houseless, the young and the old alike, there was a need and the health officials responded. When I was in college, I remember the Twin Towers getting hit by planes in New York City also. And then there was the Pentagon and there was another crash. For those of you who were alive, you may remember how crazy all that seemed. You remember where you were. I was sitting in my college dorm room. You remember where you were. If you were alive, it's etched in your brain. And you probably remember, too, how when those towers fell, medics, firefighters, the National Guard, all sorts of people, once again, they rushed in to help. They braved the chaos, absolute chaos, to help. And when I look at the Ebola crisis, the COVID pandemic, events like 9-11, I'm not only amazed that people band together so quickly and so well, but I'm amazed at what just seems like the human impulse to do it. It's just the right thing to do, and we know it deep down, so we do it. It's almost like we have a gene inside us that kicks in the gear that way. And here's why I tell you, I think Jesus did the same thing. 
And part of me has to think that our inclination as humans to run into danger to help meet a need is not just a deep human thing, but it's a deep divine thing. I think that may be something God has put in us. And so what does that got to do with mosquitoes? Everything. Everything. Has everything to do with mosquitoes. In fact, our focal passage for today has a lot to do with mosquitoes. So we're going to get our geographical bearings and make sense of what I'm telling you. Here's this map. Most of y'all are familiar with this by now. It's called Ancient Palestine, this area. You see the Sea of Galilee up to the north, and we have nothing out to the east. Down in the south, you can only see part of it here. The Jordan River is flowing down into the Dead Sea, and off to the left, we have the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And where we're at right now in Mark's story is right up at the top in the north, right up at that Sea of Galilee. So we're going to zoom into that. Last week's story, if you were here, it took place in a place, it took place in a town called Capernaum. You can see it up there in the northeast, the top left. That's where we're picking up today, too. And the scene was at a synagogue there. And right next door to that synagogue, you can see it uh, to the left of it, it kind of looks like a spaceship. Uh, the Catholic Church, I believe, has built this museum over top of what they uh, believe used to be Peter's house. So it's right next door to the synagogue, Peter's house. So Jesus, in last week's scene, was in that synagogue. And in today's story, Jesus exits the synagogue, and he walks right next door. And that's where today's focal passage picks up. We're going to read the first couple of verses. Here's my translation of Mark 129 to 30. And straight away, after they exited the synagogue, see that in your mind, they went next door, essentially. They went into the house of Simon and Andrew with Jacob and John. Well, the mother-in-law of Simon was lying down while fevering. And straight away, they spoke to him about her. Okay, so there's numerous things I want to talk about here. But let me draw your attention uh, to something maybe you've never considered, right? You notice that uh, Simon Peter's married. He has a mother-in-law. That means he was married. He had a wife. And also he lives in a house with his wife, with his brother, with his mother-in-law, and probably his two friends, Jacob and John, live there too. And that may not have been everyone. Some people think Jesus lived there. But it was a full house. Now, you notice that Simon's mother-in-law was ill. She was fevering, as I've translated it. She had a fever. Now, we could shrug this off and be like, yeah, a fever, a little fever, no big deal. We get a fever and we take some medicine and we just, you know, tough it out and we're good to go. But if that's how we think of this, if that's how we think of this, it proves how much we're reading our modern circumstances into the story. For one, there's no indication that this is a little fever. I mean, numerous people are telling Jesus about it, plural, they tell Jesus about the woman. I think it was a big deal. I don't think it was a small fever. Next, what you need to know is that just like Oahu, Palestine basically had two seasons, a dry season and a rainy season. Dry season's pretty short, May to August. 
Rainy season's pretty long, September to July. And here's why that's really, really important, especially when our story takes place next to a big, great body of water called the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> because during the rainy season, mosquitoes are very, very active in that area. But even more, that area historically has been known for mosquitoes that carry malaria. Now, malaria, that's a modern word, possibly created in the 1600s, 1700s, but what was it called in Jesus' day? Fever. Fever. There are different types of malaria in Jesus' day. One of the malarias was deadly. One of them was not deadly. One of them had really long-lasting effects on a person. Now, pathologists, modern pathologists, they've gone, they've dug up a bunch of bones. They've run tests on them, and the bones show evidence of widespread malaria in the Galilee. Archaeologists, they've also discovered these things called amulets. That, by the way, is our word of the week, amulet. It's a piece of jewelry that you wear that people think offers protection against evil. Archaeologists in the same area that they found bones with malaria have found amulets, little necklaces, pieces of jewelry that people wear, especially children. Parents put this jewelry on their children. They wore it in ancient times in this area. They had little prayers engraved on them in Aramaic and other languages. And guess what they're saying? They're asking God for help against the fever. Malaria. Protection against the fever. Malaria. One researcher looked at uh, evidence of the bones and found that in this area, death rates from malaria tended to occur most from August to November. That is right up to the end of rainy season. And now knowing that, I ask you, might understanding mosquitoes of all things on the planet be important for understanding Jesus' ministry and mission? It doesn't seem foreign to us at all, does it? When, we, when an Ebola crisis breaks out and we see people descend on Sierra Leone, or when a COVID crisis breaks out in New York City and we see people descending on New York City to help. And so why should it be any different to think that Jesus is like that? Why should it be any different to think of Jesus in that way? I want to submit to you, in fact, that he is the template for such things. He is the model for such things, the exemplar. Jesus ran headfirst into a malaria pandemic of his day in the Galilee, just like medical staff do today. In fact, Jesus launched his public ministry during a malaria pandemic. His first healing, so to speak, is of a woman, Peter's mother-in-law, suffering from this very thing. And it's no accident when people heard that they could get medical treatment for them or for their loved ones, that they started to run to Jesus. I mean, look at the next several verses. Watch what it says about how he healed her and then what happens. Check this out. And after he came toward her, he raised her after he grabbed her hand. And it left her, the fever. And she served him. Well, after it became evening... I love this. When the sun went down, they brought to him all those having it badly and those demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many having it badly, 
with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he didn't permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This is truly an incredible sequence of events. For one, Jesus enters this woman's house and he heals her. Evidently, right? The word spreads and people are bringing those having it badly, that is those with illnesses, right to the door, right to the doorstep. And Mark, he's speaking in some hyperbole here. He says it might as well have been the whole city. And he starts healing them. Starts casting out demons, just like he did in the synagogue. It's astounding. And I think it's safe to assume that many of those with the various sicknesses here likely have the same thing that Peter's mother-in-law had. Think about it. If they had the fever too and are suffering during the fall season from the same exact thing and they hear that just a few doors over, this lady was healed of her fever, her malaria, then you better bet they're going to come. It's malaria season. Let's go. Just like when Ebola hit or COVID hit, when there's a cure in the midst, when there's medicine in the midst, some relief, let's go. I can't prove that Jesus strategized to start his ministry when malaria was hitting, but it makes complete sense to me that like any good physician today, when he saw a pandemic underway, he had a desire to help. Moreover, the timing coincided with John's arrest just perfectly. So there was a need on multiple fronts and Jesus stepped in and filled the needs. You follow me? So let me just ask you a couple questions here. It may feel a little bit like a punch in the face. Sorry about that. Not sorry. Um, doesn't sound fun, but it is what it is. Uh, Jesus saw this need and he stepped in. Soaked in the Holy Spirit, covered in the gospel, drenched in the kingdom of God. He saw a need and he met it. He showed up. When was the last time you just showed up for God, for Jesus? When was there a need in our community and you just stepped up and met it? When was there a need in our congregation and you just stepped up and helped meet it? When and where have you seen the need for Jesus and you were his hands and feet and mouth? When was the last time you just all in showed up? Because that's what Jesus does. He's all in. He shows up. And let me tell you, that's what we need because we need people here who are going to commit to showing up weekly for deep study. We need people here who are going to commit to showing up daily, weekly for prayer, deep prayer. When a text goes out that somebody in our church is in need, you start praying right away. We need people who are going to embrace this community and nurture it and help foster deep community. Who are going to show up for deep service and meet real life needs. And throughout my life, I've learned something important. It's the people who keep showing up, I can count on. Through the thick, they show up. Through the thin, they show up. When it hits the fan, they show up. When I'm discouraged, they show up. 
When I need help, they show up. When I need a hand, they show up. When I need an encouraging word or need to vent, they show up. And as a pastor, I got to be honest, that's just deep down, that's what I want to see. People who are showing up for God and one another consistently. Imagine the kind of deep community we can have if we just commit to doing that. Listen, I don't care about growing up into a a big church with tons of people. I don't care about that. I don't care about the flashy lights and the smoke and the letters being perfect on the screen and the sound being perfect. I don't care. I don't care. I care a little, but I don't care. (laughs) Right? If we grow numerically, fine. What I'm concerned with is that we grow into people who just show up. And I don't just mean to church on Sundays. I mean like show up for each other consistently. And I'm asking you, when was the last time you showed up like that for someone? I don't ask that manipulatively whatsoever. It's a question we all got to face down and answer. That each, you know, that question, we use that as a question as a barometer or a thermometer to gauge our own spiritual walk, our own spiritual well-being, our love for God's church. And Jesus commanded us to love and nurture the church in his absence. That's what he told us to do. So are you? Are you loving his church, his people? Are you showing up? Are we? Let me ask you another tough question. In these first few verses we've read today, we see that just after leaving the synagogue, Jesus goes right next door to Simon's house. Now you think back a couple of weeks, Jesus went right up to Simon's boat. And he called Simon and Simon followed him. And it wasn't blindly, he knew Jesus already. But still he follows. He follows Jesus into the synagogue from his boat. And then he brings Jesus after the synagogue to his house, to his family. And it can be really, really easy to miss. But what I want you to see is this. There's something incredibly beautiful about the ease with which Simon gives Jesus access to his home, to his family to his business, to his everything. He opens his house right up to Jesus, opens his family up right up to Jesus. And here's why I ask, when was the last time you opened your house up for Jesus? When was the last time you had a group of believers eating at your table and having great fellowship at your house? When was the last time you hosted a study in your home, on your lanai, in your living room? When was the last time you consecrated, that is, dedicated your house to Jesus? When was your door last open for him and his people? What about your family, those people you live with? When was the last time you brought Jesus into the mix with them like Peter just did? When was the last time you surrendered and yielded and consecrated your family to Jesus? Remember, people say things like, let go and let God. (laughs) 
kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. But when you give something to God, when we give something to God, listen, we're not just offloading it onto God. No, no, no. We've sorely misunderstood that. Giving something to God is giving him access to it so that together we can work on it. Synergy. When was the last time you invited Jesus to be part of your family dinner, your conversation, your family prayer time, whatever? When was the last time you invited your family to welcome Jesus into such things? See, this, there's something to this, y'all. Giving our home, our family, our livelihoods to Jesus, it's no small deal consecrating and devoting those things to him. It's a very big deal, in fact. Giving him access to every aspect of our life is a big deal. But there's a sense in which ministry really starts in the home. Just like we see here in this story. When we give Jesus to, when we give Jesus access to and authority over our homes, wonderful things can happen. And when we open the door to Jesus, others will in time want to come in and be part of that. Just like in this story. So, you know, there are many other things I could say about the, the verses that we've already read, but I want to say, I want to say a few words about Simon's mother-in-law. I could make a lot of funny mother-in-law jokes right here. I could do it. I could make a lot of funny Christie's dagger. I no, shouldn't do it. A lot of funny mother, <laughs> a lot of funny mother-in-law jokes right here. Like, why, why were Adam and Eve the happiest couple to ever live? Because neither of them had a mother-in-law. Couple jokes. Come on, come on. Or I, I haven't, I haven't talked to my mother-in-law in months because I don't like to interrupt her. Come on, it's a joke, guys. It's a joke. What's the difference between outlaws and in-laws? Outlaws are usually wanted. <laughs> Come on, a couple groans there. I'm just kidding. I have a pretty good mother-in-law. What's her name? No, just kidding. Uh, I have a really good mother-in-law. She's really good. Um, she loves our family. Uh, she's a good, great mother-in-law. But Peter's mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law in this Story is good too. And the reality is the way that Mark talks about her, she's very much like Jesus. When she's healed, she begins serving. Now, I can make a lot of jokes about that too, but I'm not going to. Um, the same word serve that's used of the mother-in-law is the same word that Jesus uses of himself later on in the story. In Mark 10, 45, as he says, that's why I came. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Same exact word used of the mother-in-law here. And when Jesus takes her hand and he raises her, that word raises is the same exact word used of Jesus' resurrection later on in the story. And here's something really cool. Right at the very end of Mark's gospel, Mark tells us about a group of women standing at the cross. And here's what he says about who they were. Listen to this. Right at the end. When Jesus was in the Galilee, those women followed him and served him. It's the same exact word again. In other words, Peter's mother-in-law, 
the first one healed in this story is one of the women at the cross too at the very end. And you'll remember all the men fled. The women stayed at the cross. She's there for the entire duration of Jesus' public ministry right alongside the men. She's unnamed though in this story. But she's an exemplar. And there's something to that, isn't there? That ministry to Jesus, ministry for Jesus, isn't about making a name. Some of the most exemplary characters in Mark's story are the ones who are unnamed. These unnamed women are some of the most exemplary characters. There's something to that. Being self-effacing, not needing credit, not aching for the limelight, not desiring attention, not needing people to know what you did. Just showing up anyway. Showing up and serving. I mean, what else is the, the proper response to all that Jesus has done for us? I'm not sure there is one. We've been raised, all of us. We've been raised. Let's show up. Let's serve. Let's defy that old 2080 rule. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the 2080 rule? It's true in most churches where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Let's not be like that. Shallow community, shallow service. Let's defy that. Let's keep reading almost to the end here. And in the morning, while very dark after he arose, he went out and departed into a wilderness place. They're beginning to pray. And they hunted him, Simon and those with him. And it seems that after a day so far in the life of Jesus, in the synagogue, then at the house, a day that ended with the healing of many, the people just stay outside Peter's house, outside the door. They camp out there. Like they camp outside the Apple store when there's a new phone that comes out. There's lines, people camping out. And the people, all the people who witnessed that healing, the healings, they just camp there. And Peter, he wakes up the next morning if he ever got to sleep, and everyone's still there outside his house. Except Jesus. Instead of serving like the lady does, Peter starts hunting. It's an aggressive word used there. He's hunting for Jesus, but Jesus had gone into the wilderness, into this area probably known as Tabga, a place he loved to go to pray. It's interesting on a number of levels, I think. I mean, what do you think he's praying about at this point? The malaria pandemic? Praising God for those who were just healed. Seeking strength for the journey ahead. Clarity about his ministry and mission. Maybe he needed rest. I think the next verses might give us a little clue. Look at this. And they found him and said to him this. All are searching for you. And he said to them, we shall go elsewhere toward those being country towns in order that also there I shall preach. For because of this, I came forth 
And while he went preaching in their synagogues in the whole Galilee, he was also casting out demons. And so if we had to conclude, based on what we read here, what was Jesus praying about, it seems like he's focused on what's next. The next day of ministry and likely beyond. He's seeking his father's advice on what to do and where to go and why he's come in the first place. To be with people. To be with people. To preach the gospel to them. To tell them that God is here in their midst. And so he goes out into the whole Galilee. And he does just that. He starts casting out demons even more. Remember, he's already defeated Satan. He's already defeated a demon. So these evil spirits, they're no match for him at all. Victory is already his. And it's a really astounding picture of things. Let me make two last points here and then I'll be done. First, Jesus, he just goes throughout these towns. He likely has the same strategy at each place. Go to the synagogue first, then go to people's homes afterwards. Preach, heal, cast out demons. Wherever there's a need, meet it. You notice in 139 uh, what that says, that he preached in their synagogues. Who is there? We had the same thing in last week's story in 123 where we read about a man in their synagogue. And there, who was he referring to? Well, an elite group of religious officials called the scribes. The same scribes who in an attempt to trip Jesus up and to catch him they planted a man with an evil spirit in the synagogue to mess with Jesus. The same scribes who then turned that synagogue, that house of worship, into a den of evil. It's a precursor to what we're going to read about later with the temple. And so in today's passage, when it speaks about going into all the Galilee, into their temples, I think it's the same group, the scribes. Jesus not only goes head first, hear me on this, he not only goes head first into a malaria pandemic, he goes head first too into a religious pandemic. The mosquitoes outside are sucking blood and, and causing infection, but the scribes are inside out for Jesus' blood and they're causing religious infection. They've infested the place with chaos and disorder and Jesus comes to upend that and set things to rights he comes to heal spiritual illness too that's why he makes the synagogues a main point of interest everywhere he goes he wants people to get their spirits right too so have you have you is your spirit right is anything off something off is something in your heart off is your living off, your thoughts off? Is your spirit right? Because that's why Jesus came too. And what's the solution to getting your spirit right? That brings me to the second and final thing I want to say. Back in 133, we read that after Jesus healed, the whole city had gathered. Right? Now, this is interesting because the word synagogue literally means gather together. And Jesus is going into these places to gather together. Places that are supposed to be about deep community, but have become shallow. And he's offering a better way, a deeper way, a more whole way, an orderly way. 
And what's the key to that? They gather around him. They gather around Jesus. It may sound like a spiritual platitude, y'all, but it's not. It's way, it's way more. You see, in the ancient world, the Roman emperor, he was viewed as the embodiment of the city of Rome. So wherever the Roman emperor went, wherever the Caesar went, there too was Rome. You may never have gotten to visit the city of Rome, but if the emperor rolled through your town and you were in the emperor's presence, it was essentially viewed as the same thing as visiting the city of Rome because he's the embodiment of it. And so to gather around the emperor was to gather around Rome. And in Mark's gospel, that same idea, it's hijacked, and he applies it to Jesus. And so he says to gather around Jesus is to gather around the kingdom of God. It's to gather around him in whom the kingdom of God has come near, so near that you can reach out and touch it, and you can hear it, and you can smell it, and you can see it. And wherever Jesus is, there too is the kingdom of God. And if you gather around him, you are within the boundaries, the realm, the presence of the kingdom of God. And so all those gathered around the door, around Jesus, are also gathered into the kingdom of God. And that's why it's so important to have gathering together as a priority, to commit to that as key. It's good to be with Jesus on our own sometimes. But gathering around him together is crucial. It's critical. It's key. It's what we're commanded to do. Because we see here what happens when we band together and are a people gathered around Jesus with him as and at the center. Lives get restored. Order is restored. Healing happens. Chaos is overcome. Churches today, listen, they gather around a lot of things, y'all. Churches today gather around a lot of things. They put up rainbow flags outside now and gather around that. They put up BLM signs outside and gather around that. And they virtue signal with their pronouns and they gather around that. And they take a stand on some political issue, this political issue or that, and they gather around that. But you know what? Whenever a church makes those things their center, they decenter Jesus. And you know why? because they don't really know the true and radical love of God in Christ. Whenever a pastor or a church gets bored with Jesus, they start to make church about social issues. And all it proves is that they've gotten bored with Jesus. He's not enough. Jesus is first. Jesus is center. Jesus is who we gather around. And any service that we do, deep service flows out of that. Any stands that we take flow out of gathering around Jesus, period. And here's the kicker. We have the Spirit of Christ living in us now. So wherever we go, we're supposed to embody the kingdom of God. We're supposed to exude His reign in our lives. And as we head into pandemics, as we open the doors of our homes, as we live lives of serving, as we show up, and as we embrace deep community and engage in deep prayer, as we engage in deep service, and as we cultivate and nurture deep community, as we gather around Jesus, people will see it. And they'll want to know what's going on. And so that's our bottom line. It's simple. Gather around Jesus. That's it. 
gather around Jesus. That's the charge this week and beyond. Will you show up and do it or not? Amen.